And we got hour two of the thir- Wednesday, Wednesday crew, Jake Schmid, Alex Carminati, and Dylan two. McCoy. That's a takedown. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Coach Cadet will be very proud of you. Um, we got, um, you know, this is the part of the show where we, I said before, I foreshadowed, we'd talk, talk about Kevin Durant and what he did to Nets fans everywhere when they were losing uh, one by they're losing by you know double digits to Milwaukee yesterday in a pivotal what was the tied two series game and he put the team on his back uh, sensational performance 49 points 17 rebounds 10 assists triple double for Kevin Durant and nothing short of sensational I mean I've you know we talked about it off air Dylan it's the greatest I think performance in Nets postseason history and they haven't allowed a lot oh, of these it's a hundred percent hundred percent they haven't had a lot of any of these. Um, as well, the two-time Finals MVP became the first player to have at least 45 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 dimes in a playoff game. Uh, Steve Nash just said historic, historic performance. He was all excited. He was just, you know, unblemished effort, great effort from uh, Kevin Durant. Harden returned but delivered barely any offense. Kyrie Irving still sidelined. Durant played all 48 minutes and shot 16 for 23 from the field. Only missed seven times. Four-time scoring wow. champ, had 20 points in the fourth quarter. And then the biggest shot was this three he had with 56 second, 50 seconds left. And the Nets protecting that one-point lead. And then Jeff Green uh, stepping up as well. Jeff Green um, playing 34 minutes, 27 points, 8 for 11 from the floor um, as well. Durant had 17. Uh, all of his rebounds were on the defensive side. Um, which was great to see Durant. Blake Griffin with 17 points in the starting center spot. Um, he's been, you know, playing very well. Uh, 29 minutes as for him. Said three rebounds, though, but 7-11 from the floor, and he stretched the floor defensively uh, with his shot, three uh, for six from three-point land. I mean, Dylan, this was just single-handedly one of the best performances that uh, ever that we've seen, the the best, one, the number one that we've seen for Nets playoffs, and Kevin Durant just giving the Knights life again. They up by one. They could win, go to the conference finals uh, if they win in Milwaukee uh, tomorrow. I'd like to dedicate this segment, first of all, to all the people after game four who said the most unguardable player in the history of basketball couldn't lead a team. That's not how that works. It no. was a mid-game adjustment. Kyrie got hurt. That's de- It's a demoralizing thing to happen. Harden wasn't playing. Harden much. wasn't playing. And I mean, I just, I, I don't, like, the slander was incredible, and I'm so happy. It was everywhere. Because we all know Kevin Durant's on Twitter. So we all know he read all of that. Oh, yeah, he had that whole thing with Rappaport early on. You know, he has, he's gotten into his, his you know, he's... Oh, he's, he's a Twitter guy. Yeah, he's pretty active He's an there. NBA Twitter guy. Um, So I think he saw all that, and I mean, I I just, I, he, he came out, and, you know, he was the best player in the world last night. Yeah, he had a vengeance out there, yeah. Uh, he, and literally, they put everyone on him, except for Giannis. Uh, Mike Budenholzer, probably going to lose his job because of that. I don't understand. Yeah, PJ it, Tucker guarded him what, like 22, 23 times. Something PJ like that. PJ Tucker guarded him. They had Chris Middleton guarding him. And I Pat mean, Connaughton. And yeah. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from those players. Like Middleton and and uh, uh, PJ Tucker, are like both guys. Chris Middleton's a guy who could be all defense every year. Oh but yeah. You have you know you have a guy who's literally an all defensive first team player every single year in Giannis. Yeah. And you're not going to guard. Hundred percent, man. But. You know, I just just the performance last night was unbelievable. Uh, in the last three minutes of the game, the guy literally could not miss. Uh, he was doing everything he could, you know. And I, I really think it, it's a huge win, especially because we were down like 17 at the half, and, and it really looked hopeless. Um, 
You know, Durant had a great game. Jeff Green had probably the best game of his entire career. I think he was like seven for seven from three. It was yeah, he was insane. perfect. And he um, was just switching all of them. And 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 the Nets really exposed a lot of the weaknesses in the Bucks. I mean, Mike Budenholzer having Giannis take up the ball is something that I I will never understand. He's a center. He doesn't shoot. He plays like a center. Just put him down low. Uh, mm-hmm. Will solve a lot of your problems and. You know, I, I just think I think it's a huge mistake not having Giannis guard Katie. We'll see how they adjust for Game Six, but the way the momentum in this series is going, um, even if Harden is still not a hundred percent, I like the Nets in Game Six. I think I think this series is theirs to take, um, and I think the Bucks are going to have to ask a lot of questions in the off season. And I think Mike Budenholzer is uh, the the first guy to go because I think a lot of this series is because of his his uh, mistakes in coaching. You know, you, you had you had multiple guys in this series injured, so you don't really have an excuse to lose this series. When you have the big three, two of them not play because of injuries, and Kevin Durant just go have a monster performance. When it comes to after Kevin Durant, it's next man up, and and the Nets all year have been just su- such a depth filled team. You saw it with Blake Griffin, Jeff Green. Bruce Brown, you've seen it at times. You've seen it all across the board from this Nets team. DeAndre Jordan even at times as well. This is a really solid Nets team on uh, in the starting five and off the bench. And, and that, of course, is no surprise. That's not a shocker. We've known that all season long. But last night's game truly proved that statement. And that when it comes to losing two of your top players, Kevin Durant carries the team on his shoulder. Even though he has that triple-double and Kevin Durant's leading the way, you have guys like Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, other guys you can count on to step into that role of being the next man up and working with KD to find victory and find success. Whether Kyrie plays, you know, and and James Harden would played, he wasn't as great, but... Whether Kyrie Irving plays, whether James Harden steps it up or not, I'm really curious to see, especially on the road at Milwaukee, where again it's it's uh, win or or uh, or face Game Seven. Um, that is going to be big, and whether or not you'll see Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, Kevin Durant again step up on the road where Brooklyn has just been abysmal at times, really on the road in this series. Every home team has won each game in this series in the second round semifinal, but when it comes to really building off that performance, Kevin Durant, whether you're playing for 48 minutes, 38 minutes, whatever it is, I mean, first of all, playing 48 minutes is absolutely incredible. You're playing the entire game without one, one one breath of rest and uh, and with with all due respect LeBron James talks about the injuries and and all that stuff Kevin Durant had several injuries this year and then he puts up that performance last night that's just unbelievable number one but number two when it comes again to just building off that performance and not having that as sort of a one-time fluke you have to build off upon that especially if you're going to play Atlanta Philadelphia whoever you're playing in the Eastern Conference Final, you have a tight series here that 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 you're in, that you're going through already. On the opposite side, your opponent the next round is also going to be coming out of a tough, tight, nitty gritty series. And really, whoever wins Game Five tonight, of course, has the power grab in whoever Brooklyn could possibly face in the Eastern Conference Finals. So when it comes to building off su- su- such a performance, that is a must. When it comes to Milwaukee, I mean. We've all known that Giannis is not a shooter. So when it comes to Giannis career-wise not being a good shooter, first of all, why would you have that Whether whatever the situation is? Number two, the biggest matchup 
One of the biggest matchups, if not the biggest matchup of the entire series, has been Giannis versus Kevin Durant. And and especially when it's Game 5, winner has the power grab, winner has the momentum, winner goes in one game away from moving on. Why would you not put Giannis Antetokounmpo on Kevin Durant? It's a pretty simple question to ask. It's going to be a really interesting answer to receive from Mike Budenhoser and this uh, this uh, this uh, riled Bucks team after such a Game 5 loss. And Dylan, you mentioned it. Bro- Brooklyn was down the majority of the way. You saw them come back in incredible fashion, and Kevin Durant probably had his best game ever. He really had his best game ever. And let's say Brooklyn does go all the way. Let's say Brooklyn does win the championship. I think they mainly win the championship based off last night's performance. And again, we'll see what happens. We'll see what goes forward. They'll be playing, of course, tomorrow in Milwaukee. To be honest with you, I mentioned as my lock, I think Milwaukee does win. I think Milwaukee fights back. It sets up a Game 7. Every home team has won every game in this series. I think that that trend continues, including in Game 7, where I think Brooklyn will find themselves victorious. Look, at first, you expected Brooklyn to just power through Milwaukee. The Bucks came back, riled back with two big wins at home. Game 5, of course, last night was just the, the emphatic power grab for uh, the Nets last night in grabbing this 3-2 lead. Now they really have to, A, either, uh, of course, shut it down, or, you know, Milwaukee really has has to step up to the plate and really force a Game 7. That, that, of course, is clear. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. And no matter what happens, whether, what, whether Brooklyn goes all the way, I think they really win it. And really, they build off momentum from that incredible performance last night. But at, at the same time, when you look at Brooklyn as a team... This whole year, I think this one game, especially from last night, pretty much sets up what 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 they can do to anybody, what they can do in any situation, and whether this big three team is actually playing together or not. You have guys that can step up to the plate when top players like Kyrie, James Harden, maybe even even Kevin Durant himself, these guys these guys can truly step up to the plate and fill in the gaps that really need to be. Yeah, you bring up a good point, um, Alex. And when they're injured. Yeah, I just got cut off a bit. Sorry about that. No, no, it's interesting, and I think that it's important to talk about that. I mean, you know, the, the direction that the Nets are going in and, and with Duran and everything and where he's been showing, um, you know, showing up is is very, very important. Um, you know, very, very cool just to see what he's doing and how he's been able to do what he's doing. He, he brings that mentality, you know, from OKC to Absolutely. the Golden State Warriors to, um, you know, he, he really is a demon with the ball. And he's won the scoring title three times because of how, like, laser, like, how, how laser focused he is from beyond the arc and from putting teams on his back. And, you know, with the Warriors... And to your point about, you know, Durant's earlier career, too, and, you know, what he did with the NBA Finals with the Warriors, you know, he had Steph Curry, he had Klay Thompson, um, you know, Draymond Green and, and all that and the beef and all that. But but he didn't – but the Nets right now, you know, it was just him yesterday. It was right. – he didn't have Russell Westbrook. He didn't have – you know, James Harden was there, but he wasn't there. He was non-existent. And that really just shows you what kind of a monumental game that Durant brings. And, you know, he could take over a game – because of his strength and his strength is just doing, you know, beating the competition by just playing through that defense. 
Um, and he's able to just, you know, even the assist numbers, too, double, triple-double. I mean, he dished out all those assists, too. You know, guys like Jeff Green, you know, being those supporting cast roles, Jeff Green back from injury, you know, a lot of people were unsure about how he would come back, but he he really came back and um, and brought them, brought them uh, back to where they needed to be and back in the driver's seat. I mean, you know, they had lost a couple, too, um, for the Nets, Um you know, this is a team that had lost two straight to Milwaukee. They lost by three um, in game three, and then game four, they lost 107-96. So it was, you know, it, it was, they needed they needed this win or else they would be down 3-2. And we know that teams can come back down 3-2, but also, three. you know, Milwaukee would have been coming in back to their home arena with a win and the home crowd behind them. So it's good that the Nets kind of dented their sails doing that. Um, with Durant being able to perform. I mean, they both shot, you know, laser, you know, very close, 49.4% exactly, you know, very close approximately from the floor. Milwaukee, you know, Brooklyn committed 10 turnovers, which is kind of a lot for them. But, um, you know, rebounds, every every stat team store, team stat-wise was about one point differential or like 2% difference. But the big difference was Kevin Durant, 49 points. I mean, everybody on the Bucks, 34 from Giannis, that was the highest scoring right there. Um, sure. 15 points less than uh, Durant. Um, and Durant only committed, you know, he did commit three turnovers, but he also had two blocks and three steals, and those are good numbers for him. Nobody on the Nets um, had more than one steal aside from Durant. That was Landry, that was Shamay. Um, uh, he didn't do He only had one. Um, so Durant has really been an anchor, and his defense is really, a lot of people talk about his offense, but his defense was on full display, getting all, every single rebound, a game-high 17 rebounds, all of them on the defensive side, too. It wasn't like he was getting putbacks. He was defensively he was pretty active and uh and that it was come even you know the nets were losing you know the first quarter 29 to 15 they were down by double digits um in that they were you know kind of they're trailing the half they were and then that third quarter when they outscored the bucks by plus 10 they went on that run and then they outscored him in the fourth by plus 12 uh that was all because of kevin durant all those 20 points you know in the fourth quarter 20 of the 33 that the nets had uh really propelled him that to that six point win um and this is something that you're gonna. This is like almost like you know, Vin, you know, Durant that we've seen, you know, with the Thunder, with the Warriors, but now with the Nets, he has no other star behind him except you know, Jeff right. Green's not really that star level. So it was really fascinating to watch that uh, Durant take over, and I'm excited to see tomorrow. I think tomorrow night is gonna be a a really good game. I think the Bucks are gonna really want to come out fast, but I think the Nets are gonna learn from that first half, and I think they're gonna have the stronger start tomorrow in Milwaukee. I think this season and this playoff run might define Kevin Durant's career, and I say this for two reasons: either a actually winning a championship as the main leader of a you know a super team, not going to Golden State and being part of a super team already, and and winning your two chips. What I mean by this is that actually winning a championship sort of on your own i mean not not technically on his own but one of the main reasons if not the main reason kevin durant played a big factor in the super teams but he joined those teams to win a championship because that team was so loaded to begin with now that kevin durant's on his own team his own squad he's sort of the captain of his own team i think this year defines him by uh either a winning a championship by himself or 
or B, needing help to win a championship like he did in Golden State. Whatever happens this year, I think this season truly defines Kevin Durant's uh, career altogether. And and look, and, and look, last night's game was just something else. That That is the best game of his career. Don't get me wrong. That is just absolutely incredible the way he played. 49-17-10, triple-double, carrying his team on your back, being down by double digits multiple times, and winning a pivotal game five. That is unbelievable. You need to see even more, though, from Kevin Durant especially with how talented and how great the player is. He, I think, has to win this year to truly set himself apart from different players and realize and really being seen as someone who can actually win at, you know, you know, sort of either by himself or be someone who can, you know, lead a super team instead of joining one to win two championships. He has to win by himself and be the main contributor of this championship team, I think. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I definitely, I definitely agree that this is going to go a long way. I think Kevin Durant's legacy is already written. He's one of the most unguardable players in the history oh, of sure. sport. Oh, sure, absolutely. He's a seven footer with a with a with a bag. You know, deeper than pretty much any player who's come before him at that size. He can shoot threes. He can dunk. His mid range jumper is Kobe, Michael Jordan level of unguardable. Um, but you know, I, I think I think Game Five says a lot about the Nets. But I think Game Five might even say more about the Bucks. You know, as much as I love talking about the Nets, I mean, you know, th- this is looking to be the third year in a row where the Bucks have a series lead or they tie a series, and then you know, Giannis can't do it. I mean, he had thirty four and twelve last night, but it was the ugliest thirty four and twelve you'll see in your entire life. You know, after a while, he, he's he's predictable. He is predictable. You know, you had Jeff Green and Blake Griffin. They were they were guarding him. They were giving him the Ben Simmons defense, basically. They were halfway in the paint. They were like, you want to take a three? You take a three. That's why I just I just don't understand what Mike Budenholzer is thinking. I don't understand why Giannis isn't a guy you put in the post every possession. Because he is more athletic than the guy who's on him a hundred times out of a hundred. He's the he's might be the most athletic player in the entirety of basketball. I I don't understand what making him dribble at the top of the key is because he's not a shooting threat. He's not shooting the ball. And if he's shooting the ball, you're letting him shoot the ball, and he's probably missing. Or you're fouling him, he's going to the line, and he's getting a 10-second violation, or he's missing. Um, you know, I, I think I think the question has to be asked, can, Gian, can Giannis be the primary option and do it, like win it all? And, I mean, the, the early, early returns are no. You know, you can win all the MVPs you want, and it's great what you do in the regular season. You're obviously yeah, going to have better numbers in the regular season, but, you know, can Giannis do it as the primary option? I mean, right now I'm going to say no. I think he might need another star with, with a perimeter game, or they just need a change in, in the way they run their offense because the he, thing is, Dylan, he, should not be, he should not be on the perimeter ever. The thing is, opinion. Dylan, you, you mentioned all of that. It's so funny. You didn't mention Drew Holiday once, and Drew Holiday was brought in for what reason? To create scoring and to be that guy at the key who can shoot the three? If that's the case, where was Drew Holiday last night, and why is Giannis being this sort of scorer where you know he can't shoot from downtown for his life? So my question is, is that if you know, if you brought in Drew Holiday for a reason to sort of help Giannis as that sort of one-two punch, and I'm not saying Drew Holiday is the answer. And really, I think they need one more star, a Dame Lillard, Kawhi, whoever you want to put in, the, in that equation. But my point is, is that last night was such an abysmal loss from Milwaukee. You're having Giannis shoot the three. 
You brought Drew Holiday into town for a reason, and you signed an extension for him for a reason. Why is he not taking those shots? Why is Giannis doing that job instead? That's my question. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the way Mike Budenholzer decides to coach this team. I mean, we were, we were watching ESPN in the studio, and we had a graphic come up. In, in so the second half, uh, uh, P.J. Tucker guarded uh, KD like 20 times. Chris Middleton guarded him like 15 times. And Giannis didn't guard Kevin Durant one time. And wow. I mean, you know, that's a guy who has won the Defensive Player of the Year before. I believe he was first-team All-Defense this year. And if he wasn't, yeah. he got robbed. Um, but... You know why? 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 If 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 that's your best defender, why is he not guarding the best player on the perimeter? You know, right? Just because he's not a perimeter offensive player doesn't mean he's a bad perimeter defender. He's not a bad perimeter defender, and it's not like KD can. I don't know if KD would be able to out hustle him and get to the lane on him because Giannis is just so fast and he takes such big strides on defense that he covers a lot of ground. So I I think a lot of the Bucks' failures in this series, especially last night when they had such a massive lead falls on Mike Budenholzer. And that's why I think if they lose this series, he's probably going to be fired. Because I think it is a it is coaching ineptitude that is that is going to lose them a series where they were once heavy underdogs and then became the favorites. Right, absolutely. Let me ask both of you gentlemen this question. And this this is popping my brain. I really have to ask this question. Dylan, you, you talked about Giannis not being the primary guy. Giannis struggling in the playoffs. We've seen that. Even though, again, th- throughout the regular season, he's been able to win several MVPs, be, be a top-notch player, one of the best in uh, basketball. My question to both of you gentlemen, and Dylan, you could start with this if you want. My question is, is that when it comes to the way Mike, Mike Boonhauser has been has been coaching this Bucks team ever since Giannis has been around, ever, ever since Mike Boonhauser has been the coach, is it fair to say Giannis has been misused a lot? 100%. Oh, if, if Giannis is taking the ball from the backcourt, he's being misused. That, that's it. I He's not a perimeter player. He doesn't shoot the three well. He's a guy where he is like Ben Simmons' level of, I'm going to leave you open. If you want to take a three, you take a three. He hits it more than Ben Simmons, a thousand times more than Ben Simmons does. But I, you know, he is being mismanaged. If I'm coaching Giannis, I'm like, all right, Drew Holiday, you're going to bring the ball up. Middleton, you're going to be around the perimeter. Giannis, get in the post. Get right. in the post. Get the ball. You want to take a fadeaway? Don't take it too much, but you want to spin towards the paint, you should do that. I think Giannis Is it Giannis's be... fault, would you say? No, 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 okay. no. He, I think he's just totally being mismanaged. But I also okay. think it's because he has to be the primary guy. You know, right. We, we've, you know, Chris Middleton, great player, not great in playoff situations. Drew Holiday is not a, a top-scoring option. He did have right. 19-8 last night. He had a good game. Uh, he's a good defender. But, you know, ultimately, I think Giannis is a guy you want in the post, and Giannis is a guy you want giving you screens on pick and rolls because he's a guy mm-hmm. whose best attribute is his athleticism. When he goes to the basket, he is basically unguardable, unless you're Jeff Green or Blake Griffin. Um, but mm-hmm. he is, is, is a great interior player, and he's, his weakness is on the perimeter. So if I was Budenholzer, he would not be on the perimeter at all in my offense. He'd be coming up for screens from the high post, or he'd be sitting in the high post or the low block. That would that would pretty much be it. Yeah, and to your point, Dylan, I mean, you know, Giannis was just sitting on Joe Harris. Like, that was his, that's who he was defending for the majority wow. of the game. Yeah, Joe Harris. Joe Harris was a statue out there. He didn't have, he had less than 10 points. He Joe Harris really... has been a statue this entire series. He, he, hasn't done he has. He hasn't done anything. You know, he but was the, the three point champ. He's, he's been like a couple, you know, he's been a reliable three point shooter, three point threat from beyond the arc. He hasn't done that um, by any means, but. 
you, I, I agree with you, Dylan. That Giannis, you know, he's the main guy that you want to step up there. He's not, you know, Drew Holiday. You know, he's a good defender. He's he's formidable, but he's no Giannis. Giannis with his long arms and his outreach, and um, I think majority of this, you know, is on Budenholzer. Um, a hundred percent. I mean, Mike Budenholzer isn't that kind of coach that's gonna um, that's gonna do that, and um, and that's really not only was he not using Giannis on Durant, also. He wasn't even doubling him, Giannis with other guys, too. He wasn't doing that. And Giannis's point, you know, is not to bring up the ball. He's the guy, you know, that you want in the post. I agree with you on that, Dylan. He's not a reliable three-point threat. He really isn't um, as well. And offensively, Milwaukee was a mess. They were isolating too much. They were hmm. really, really, like, doing too much. They were treating Middleton and Holiday as if that was their whole team. Um, they were getting all those looks, um, potentially – um, stat muse, they do like a lot of the breakdowns of statistics, um, uh, possessions and all that. The, their possessions in game five since tied at 91 91, a majority of them, all of them were isos aside from like a, a three from Middleton or a two from Lopez. Um, but you had a Gian, two Giannis turnovers in that stretch. You had a Giannis iso, um, like five times, and then 11 of the 17 possessions were isos, um, as well. So, um, uh, some of the, at some point, it's going to be on the players for that shot selection for isolation. Of course, you know they think they can beat their man and all that, but it's also on Budenholzer too. He's the architect of the whole thing. He's he's been very stubborn with his defensive schemes. I think Dylan you touched upon that um, as well, and he's just kind of sitting by with the offense. You know, he's kind of letting the players kind of feel it out and stuff. And Dylan, I want to get your point about that. You know, you think the Bucks' offense, you know, Budenholzer is going to see the film. He's going to see what's going on, what everybody, the critics are saying, what the analysts are saying on, on ESPN and CBS Sports and Fox and all that. But do you think that anything changes at all with the Bucks as they go to a, a pivotal game, you know, a potential serious clinching uh, game when they could be bounced uh, tomorrow night? I think that's a good question. Um, I don't know because, I mean, they were making, like, good adjustments in, in, they in, were, they in were. game four and game five, I would say. They were. Early on, they were doing a good defensive job. They were Ding up Harden and, and KD pretty well early in the game, but, you know, they just kind of went away from it. And, I mean, offensively in game five, um, in the first half, they were playing great. They were passing the ball around. They were getting an open shot, and I – I don't know if it was Budenholzer or it was the players, but they just they just abandoned everything that was working for them. And I mean, I mean, if it, this happens three years in a row, it happened. I think they were up two zero on Toronto in twenty nineteen. Yep. Um, they were up in the series last year against Toronto, where OG and Anobi hit the game winner. I think they they lost that series. They did. Yeah. They, yes. Yeah, they did. They were up two zero in that series too, actually. Um, they got a little confident with that lead. They they were playing the ball too much. They're no, spreading absolutely. the floor. But I, I think if it happens three years in a row, you know, it, it's got to come down to coaching. Oh, it this, has to. The same result three times, and like some of this, most of the similar players. But you know, the Bucks have you know they haven't made it to the NBA Finals. Like they've kind of gotten over that big hump. So some of that's due that's to coaching case, too. If that's the case, who's the, who's the right answer? If it's not Mike Budenhauser, I don't know who the right answer is. I think that's a really that's a really good question. I think Chauncey? that's a. I think Billups. it's a, maybe Chauncey Billups. You know, I think he'd be a brilliant coach. I think he'd be great. I think the oh, Nets absolutely. assistant um, would be good too. Of course, you see a lot of that. You know, that pipeline. Look at Steve Nash. What he's been. You know, he's obviously gifted. You know, the keys giving his give the keys of the car to Durant, Harden, and Irving when you know, when they were healthy and all that. But um, it, it's really been something to watch. That I mean, you know, you look at Steve Nash versus Jason Kidd, and that was just you know night and day. Dylan, like Jason Kidd wanted to coach the Nets after he finished up in Dallas and. Um, and we all know what happened with that, with, you know, 
with some of the players that can't make the jump. But I mean, he 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 was okay with with Milwaukee, but it's a totally different situation with Steve Nash. But I think that the Bucks right now, you know, they they need they they need to figure out you know the scheming wise and is you know up to the coaching as well. But the play, you know, how they implement that with the players too. I mean, they they had good acquisitions. They had you know Drew Holiday. They have a good lineup. They have a decent lineup, and you know, obviously Giannis. Um, and what he's been doing um, there, and Chris Middleton as well. But I think, you know, Alex, we talked about this a while. You know, they're they're a little bit over the cap limit, so maybe they're going to get rid of some people maybe as well. But they need to get some better, like, defensive pieces. I don't know if Brook Lopez is the answer at center. I mean, I know that it looked good from the beginning and him making his choices there, but I just don't think I'd see Brook Lopez there long term. Oh, I love Brook Lopez. Bro- yeah. My my thing in this series was if anyone's going to take the Nets out, it's going to be Brook Lopez dropping 45, and I'm going to be okay with that. Cause he's oh yeah he's a nuts for life. I mean he was he was one of the nets too when it was like when it was like you had to like make an effort to watch the nets like to even watch yeah him and game. Travis Outlaw leading the team with Travis Outlaw, Devin Harris injured Anthony Morrow yeah Yijan Lee like those were the ah oh, those were the days where being a Nets fan was like something you couldn't admit and now it's something you can't admit because you're a bandwagoner now exactly but you couldn't admit it before because they were absolutely awful Sunday out of gains. So Sunday these random I'm just remembering random people. They had like Sunday out of gains. They had like these random backup both, guards. I think they had both uh Bogdanoviches for for like different different stints. Well Boyan Boyan was fun to watch. I Boyan mean, I, was fun to watch. I saw him play against the Rockets in like Harden like a while ago and when they had CP three and all that, but I think he was hurt and Boyan, you know, he was making threes. They lost that game by like eight, but like he, you know, Boyan was, uh, he was something to watch. Mirza Toledovich was cool too. They had Andre Karolinko. I mean, AK these are all these four, random AK guys. 47. AK 47. What a nickname. What a nickname. They had like, yeah, he was on the, he was on the Timberwolves too. I mean, they had all these, um, and of course the, the Nets had to push through the KG and Pierce and Jason Terry and all that and um, giving up Chris Humphreys and, uh, and all that. Giving him up to Kim Kardashian. Yeah, weren't they for, married for, for like 60 days? days? Yeah, 93 days, barely three months. <laughs> and yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was something. But then the Nets have had their fair share of struggles. And, um, and it's kind of, I like that they're bringing, they, they brought back the New York Nets, like the retro stuff. And I heard oh. they're bringing back, maybe, maybe I heard a rumor, one of my friends is like all into the Jersey, like retro stuff. He said that they might be bringing back the New Jersey Nets for next year, like the shirts. I think they are like the, oh. the, the gray and no, red. No, no, no. You can't, you can't even, no, don't even, don't yeah. even tell me that. If it's New York Nets true. is cool. The blue and the ABA, like that's cool. I like that. When they drop those New Jersey ones next year, though, I'm going to buy one because those are the uniforms I grew up. Watching my team in. Yeah, Izod Center, the Connell Airlines Arena. Connell yeah. Airlines Arena. Yeah, Devil's Old yes. Stomping Grounds. Yeah, that was that one year they were at Prudential Center. I like saw them play like That's I think right. I saw them play uh the Pistons. I think I saw them play Billups and the Pistons, I'm pretty sure. And it was like Travis Outlaw was there and like and they they had that it was like a it was there was like nobody there. There was like probably like four thousand, three thousand, four thousand people there. Sounds about wow. right for a mid mid twenty tens Nets game. That sounds about right. Um but yeah, you know, we we you know, people don't talk about the the New Jersey fan base for like when they talk about suffering fan bases. That was like a really long we're New suffering. York. We're though. New York. We get success sometimes, but the people who are Nets fans and have been Nets fans since the dark ages and before, we deserve this success because I have just seen like I became a basketball fan watching like like basketball that was like sub NBA level. Yeah. So the fact that I get to watch Three of the best players in the history of the game on my team now is 
Well, I don't get to watch all three of them because they're injured and they never play together. <laughs> but the fact that I get you to see, see them seven times a year, the fact that I get to see <laughs> Kevin Durant and like James Harden and Kyrie sometimes on the same floor is is something I could have never imagined. You know, three years ago watching this team squeak into the playoffs with guys like D'Angelo Russell. But what a time! What a time! What a time to be alive! Like future, what a time to be There's alive! There's so much to look out for for this Brooklyn team. So much has changed. So much has progressed. And you, you look at this new big three, this three-headed monster, whatever you want to say. I mean, I've been saying it. You have to win if you're Brooklyn this year. You have to go all the way with this. Hundred percent. You have to do this. And last night gives you more of a reason than ever, ever before. And Kevin Durant playing his great game, all that stuff. Last night was a career performance, and I said it earlier. When it comes to you know, when it comes to Kevin Durant solidifying his career, what he's gonna be or what the narrative of Kevin Durant will be for his entire career, this is big this year. And really, I think he has to go all the way to truly show that he can win either by himself, leading a team, whatever it is. He can't just win, the, go to Golden State, win these two championships, being part of a super team already, and move on. He really has to win it by himself, and I think this this has to be the year to do it. This year will define his career no matter what happens yeah i i think so too um it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out and final 20 minutes or so here on the wednesday crew jake schmidt dill mccoy and alex carminati uh, we missed we missed a lot of stuff. Although we talked about the NBA, we covered all that stuff. Um, but we big, always miss a lot. of We stuff, always do. Jake, but this this honest. is something that I saw going in today, and I knew we would get to this in rapid fire. But this is something that's really really interesting. The NCAA is investigating allegations of a slew of violations within Arizona State's football program. The school confirmed in a state. Uh, statement today to ESPN. Um, potential violations are linked to recent recruiting practices and likely involve several Arizona State coaches um, as well. Um, several sources told the Pac-12 in the Pac-12 told ESPN that Arizona State faces allegations about recruiting practices that occurred um, when the dead period ended, including possible improper contact with prospects at an off-campus recruiting uh, camp as well. Um, but then there's there's more as well. The uh, Athletic reported citing a source that the ASU's compliance staff has started interviewing coaches about the allegations, and Harm Edwards, the football coach, invol- uh, his involvement in the F- investigation is not yet known. Um, but there's there's been some, uh, and there's been a lot of Arizona State stuff. There's been um, for this Pac-12 school, um, especially with all these allegations um, and what this means going forward. Um, some of them, Pete Thamel for uh, Yahoo Sports said that. Um, there's been they have a dossier of screenshots, receipt, pictures, and emails related to, pers- uh, to potential violations as well. Allegations also include potentially paying players, major recruiting violations, COVID violations, and there's also wow. other things that have left serious concern about the coaching staff being able to coach this season. So pretty serious pro, pretty serious um, allegations uh, against Arizona State. According to Th- Th- Thamel in the Yahoo Sports, he said that. Members of the football program deliberately, blatantly, and consistently broke rules relating to hosting players during the dead period, including Coach Herm Edwards um, as well. Um, there's been um, how these trips were paid for for these players for being uh, recruiting at campus, even though there's been a dead period that ended June 1st that they were actively recruiting um, during that um, as well. Um, it's 
pretty they've been hosting dozens of kids on campus during the pandemic it's pretty um they're saying an example in one weekend in october there were so many high school kids visiting that a staff member parked a 12-person van in the staff parking lot to tour around recruits these visits spanned months including some in october which was the weekend of the ucla game in december another one and through the spring weekend and one source told yahoo that it was like an official visit weekend and it wasn't a secret the staff member said with uh under uh, under a not anonymity um, what do you think about this? You know, Dylan and Alex, this is pretty serious stuff. And you talk about, you know, recruiting during the dead period is one thing, but, you know, paying for the people to come and all that, that's a whole other thing. And COVID violations is something else, too. Well, I mean, COVID, I, ahead, I, I mean, I mean, Herm Edwards did say it when he was coaching for the Jets. He did say you pay to win the game. Or I, he might have said play, but in this case, it would be pay. Um, <laughs> it makes, you know, I. I see this from from every school, you know. This doesn't surprise me anymore. Like even Notre Dame was supposed to be by the book. They get hit with recruiting violations every so often. Uh I don't know. The the Pac-12 isn't very relevant anymore. Uh everyone in the Pac-12 goes like 7 and 5 every year. So they're basically a group of 5 at this point. So it's not like Arizona State was playing for a national title or anything. Um but, you know, I think, I mean, if it's as serious as, as they say it is, it, we, we could be seeing a new coach at Arizona State, which would be sad for Herm Edwards, his first job in a while, and he gets ousted because of uh, NCAA violations. Whether, whether it's COVID violation, other violations, to be honest with you, the one that really sticks out to me, Jake, is the one, one you mentioned about uh, paying, paying players to come and paying people to do this. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, but isn't that bribery? Couldn't that be a bribery charge or something like that? Last time I checked, again, again, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I don't have that mindset. But when it comes to paying people to to to, to first of all break the rule, have people to come and pay them during a time where where you're not allowed to have such such visits, such um such such uh, scenarios, that definitely plays a factor. And to be honest with you. It also depends, I think, how much money was being paid to these players. Again, who knows how serious this is? The way it seems, it's very serious. And regardless if 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 the Pac-12 is you know competitive in football or not, this is a, this is a Power Five school. And when you have a Power Five school in the in a, in a Power Five conference, you know have such have such charges and have such a scenario built against them, and pretty much you know that seems true. That there's lots of there, there seems to be lots of evidence that uh, that uh, relates to this. Again, due process is due. But when it comes all together to what is being put at the table and what is being discussed and what is being shown as evidence, this makes the Pac-12. This makes look. This makes the Power Five look very, very bad. And to be honest with you, depending how serious it is, Herm Edwards might not just lose his job. Arizona State might might not might have to forfeit the season again. That might be a, a crazy statement, but at the same time, don't be shocked if that happens. Of course, depending on how serious these allegations allegations are and how serious the situation is don't be shocked if if arizona state might not even have a football year because of how serious this is yeah um i don't think it would be i think bribery has to like got to be like covering up a crime or something i don't know how that works but i'd assume they're just gonna get regular ncaa violations you know lose recruits lose recruiting days all that i don't see like a death penalty type situation no of it's course not, it's not. not that serious no of uh, course not but it's uh it's 
it's something that that could be big, and if it's serious, seriously big, this could impact, of course, from Edwards, but also the program. They might be banned, or something. Ser a serious penalty could be coming their way if this thing builds and builds, and uh, and eventually comes out to be seriously true. If it's worse than people are saying originally, I'd feel bad, but I'd care a lot more if it was a team in a better conference. Yeah, I would. I would honest. think. I would think the same thing. Like if it was like like Auburn hit with sanctions or something like that. Like that'd be big, or even like sure. Missouri and like SEC or something like that. Alabama. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if Alabama. I'm sure they've done stuff, but um, they always get a free pass for everything. Um, in, in the That's NFL, <laughs> a lot of you know good interesting stuff coming out. Um, NFL preseason COVID nineteen restrictions are going to be near basically all lifted for fully vaccinated individual for nice. players but uh there to remain severe for unvaccinated people and a memo distributed today uh teams um received detail on fan and media access to training camp and preseason games um and fine schedules for players who violate specific protocols um uh but it's also interesting to see that um any player who is not fully vaccinated will continue to be obviously subject to daily testing and mask wearing including in team facility and social distancing requirements and also quarantine if they're high-risk exposure to someone with COVID-19. But it's also interesting, too, they're prohibited for having meals with teammates if you're not vaccinated. And also, there's significant restrictions when traveling. You have to isolate in a team hotel away from your teammates, and you're on a separate team flight, which is um, which is crazy. I'm sure I'll have the majority of everybody in the NFL fully vaccinated by first week of September for the uh, for the first season. But there's all it's uh, it's interesting, and they also you know if they visit a nightclub or indoor bar, get this that has indoor more than ten people in it, they're required to wear personal PPE, personal protective equipment, if they're oh unvaccinated. Who is gonna do that? And also, there's a ban; they can't attend indoor concerts or other entertainment events. That they can't go to like an NBA like playoff game if you're on the Packers and you're not vaccinated. You can't go to the Milwaukee game tomorrow, which is interesting. Vaccinated players it's, it's, face none of these restrictions, but the vaccinated player is going to be required to be tested once every 14 days. Alex, I know we've talked about code restrictions and all that, but what do you think about this news about the NFL being more severe with unvaccinated this is, people? This is too this is too draconian. And look, 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 the vaccine's getting rolled out. People are getting vaccinated more. In the U.S. alone, you have over 200 and uh, 23 million people vaccinated, over 100 million people fully vaccinated. And look, the vaccine's getting out, but at the same time, you're seeing, you're seeing the vaccine and non-vaccine sort of abilities and rights in a way. And when it comes to people who are vaccinated, they can do this, that, the other. When people who are not vaccinated, they they they, they have to be you know restricted, whatever. And look, I can see why, but at the same time, if this you know look. If people are vaccinated and people are safe and people are and the majority of people in this country are getting this vaccine, whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, whatever, why should the unvaccinated people who, again, have the right to choose whether or not they want to be vaccinated or not? Why should these unvaccinated people be forced to give up certain freedoms and certain, you know, abilities when it when it comes to uh, either being with a team or, you know, living life out off the field? You know, so and and again, I, I can see why they're doing these safety protocols, especially when it comes to fully getting out of this covid pandemic. But at the same time, the vaccine is working. The vaccine's being admission to over 200 million people. Over 100 million people have been fully vaccinated already. I see these points. But at the same time, the vaccine's supposed to be very safe and effective. If these if if 
if it, if this player or person, for example, is not vaccinated, but they're around vaccinated people, what's the harm? What's the difference? And and the goal is to have the entire country vaccinated, whether or not the entire country is vaccinated or the majority of people are vaccinated. What is the harm of doing this? And really, all altogether, you're sort of you're, you're putting these people in a box where they're sort of being, I, I think, shamed in a way when it comes to not taking this vaccine or not taking this, that or whatever. They have to have a certain new guideline and there's certain privileges being given to people who are vaccinated and people who aren't. I mean, I guess, but in a way, like. You should have more freedom if you're vaccinated. You're you're safe from the the virus that is going around that is oh, of a course. problem. Um and I mean if this encourages more people to get vaccinated, like I, I would I would recommend it. I mean it's just just gonna make and I mean I'm talking to like people in the NFL, but I'm just talking to people right now. It's just gonna make your life so much easier at these next I don't know how long. However long in this like these restrictions slash non-restrictions are in place. Uh, yeah, get get vaxxed if you can, especially if you're in the NFL or you want to be a media member in the NFL, which I do. So yeah, no, yeah, it's that wasn't that was my reasoning, it. but uh, no, of yeah, course, of course. I I got I got a little bit of an interesting news story that just came up that was just about six thirty. It was posted. Vince Wilfork's son is charged with stealing three hundred k of his dad's jewelry, including New England Patriots Super Bowl rings, two of them. According oh, to a police-compliant released by the Two Galveston, Texas rings. County District Attorney's Office, they allege that his son DeAndre Holmes Wilfork, who's 23, about you know a couple years you know around our age, sold the rings and other jewelry after stealing them. He was arrested on May 22nd, and now he's charged with stealing it. According to the police-compliant, Wilfork told authorities that he did not report the jewelry missing or stolen immediately because he was unsure if it was packed in storage. On May 10th, he said he received an email from a lifelong Patriots fan informing him of a post in a memorabilia group saying that his Super Bowl rings for sale were for sale. That's how he found out, which is remarkable from a, a Patriots fan who emailed him about a memorabilia group. He's like, heads up, by the way, uh, bud, your uh, your Super Bowl rings are for sale. Prince Wolfork's probably going to, like, I'm sure his like head was going to explode. Um, they also discovered that eight other pieces of his jewelry were sold in March of 2020 for $4,600. What is his son? What is his son doing? Going and to also, prison. a 2001 Miami Hurricanes, Why? his ring from college also was auctioned off. His his NCAA title ring from Miami, 2001. What? That is, uh, I mean, that's crazy. He's got Who more Super Bowl that? rings, but that 2001 Miami team is possibly the best college football team ever. If you take a ring away from that team, that is Ex so disrespectful. Wow, and it's his like, son too. It's, it's not like some son. random like a, a thief, like a jewel thief. It's his son who's a jewel is a thief. I. I, that's just. I don't know what to say. It's stabbing, it's stabbing your own family in the back, of course, obviously. But at the same time, who in their right mind does that? I mean, you would think, I mean, you know it's that important to your father. But at the same time, you know how your father has been able to work hard, get these accomplishments, all of that, and really have these, have these luxurious items because he's worked hard for it. I get that all completely. What's horrible here is that the son, out of all people, does that maybe in jealousy, spite, whatever. I don't know. We don't know the reasons. I'm not quite sure what the reasons are. But for 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 whatever reason, he does this. And 
it's sad to see. Um, I, I feel awful for, for Vince Wilfork. And for someone who's who's been able to work so hard for those rings, for that, for those luxurious items, and for that recognition, this is just a stab in the back. And really, it just it it's just heart wrenching when someone steals it. It's even worse when your own son, your own blood, does it, and that makes it even worse for him. That's that that's ten times more the pain than being robbed to begin with by any stranger. Yeah, it's uh, it's something uh, as well. Um, other new, you know, big stuff right there. Also, uh, Baker Mayfield in no rush to get a Browns extension. He says that extension will handle itself. Um, downplaying it uh, today after his you know OTAs and all that. He's coming off that breakout season. He's like everything happens for a reason and it all handle itself. So just worried about winning. Uh, he finished the season tenth, top ten QBR through week seven to week fifteen. He ranked third, trailing. In those weeks, for eight weeks in the middle of the year, trailing only league MVP Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes um, as well. They've already picked up his fifth-year option, which will pay him $18.8 million during the 2022 season. Uh, but GM Andrew Barry has refrained from commenting specifically on a potential extension. Uh, what do you guys think of this? It seems like they—obviously, he's their main guy, so contract's going to come, but— you know, and also like Odell Beckham Jr. You know, they they've been their first OTAs in a long time, and they're and he said that that connection's looking good too. This is a great move. Ba- Look, Baker Mayfield had a great year. Don't get me wrong. We don't know what Baker Mayfield we're getting in 2021. One year he can be solid. The next year he can be inconsistent and really, really dogmatic. So you don't know what exact Baker Mayfield you're getting. And last year they had a great year. Baker was incredible. This Brown team had a really nice run, a really solid run, and a really solid season altogether. You have to wait until Baker Mayfield can be consistent year after year with such performances and how Cleveland could be consistent with, with, with contending season after season. It's That is a great mindset for Baker Mayfield. He's not rushing into anything. He'll play it out. He'll take his time. He'll trust the process, do all that stuff. And when Baker, you know, continues to be successful season after season and builds upon, his, builds upon a reputation year after year, that's when he'll deserve the contract. We'll see how it plays out. We'll see how Baker goes. You have to wait to see what he does in 2021, and especially in 2022, since they picked up that fifth-year option. Yeah, um, you know, I I totally lost – Jake, help me. I totally lost my train of thought. No, I remember what I was going to say. Mayfield, right? uh, Yeah. I know know you, like – we talk about OBJ, the Giants and stuff, but – you know, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. Uh, yeah, to do Cleveland. that. <laughs> he was hurt. I mean, it, I was, I was, you know, flabbergasted when I heard about that that he was leaving. I thought he was gonna be a giant for life. Yeah. Well, when when he became the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL, I also thought that. But a week or two yeah, later, yeah, that big proven, deal. A week or two later, that was proven not to be the case. Um, huh. but ultimately, I think Baker is gonna come back. I think he's gonna have a good season. I think he's waiting for the extension because he needs another season to say, right. hey. Here are these numbers. This is what I deserve. He can give them his terms, too. We'll see, though. He has a lot of weapons to work with, and if he Absolutely. doesn't have another good season this year, I think a lot of questions have to come into play. Because He might be out. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how I, he does I think, this year. I think a lot of – because he's got Austin Hooper. He's got Odell Beckham. He's got Jarvis sure. Landry. He's got a top five running back in the NFL. Nick and Chubb. Nick Chubb in the yeah. backfield. He's Kareem got Kareem Hunt, Hunt. one-two punch. Exactly. So – you know, if his numbers aren't, if his numbers uh, are going more towards the second year than his first year, I think there needs to be, uh, you know, some questions. But we'll see. I liked Baker coming out of the draft, and I didn't like Sam Darnold, so I clearly got that draft right. Um, 
And, yeah, I think he's a good player. I think he's a winner. I think he was a winner at Oklahoma. I think he is going to be a good player in the NFL, but we'll have to see. I think this is going to be a good uh, comeback season for for, uh, our boy Baker. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But also, you know, in the MLB, just announced yesterday that players caught using foreign substances on balls to be ejected, suspended for 10 games. This is something that we've talked about, about um, pitchers and about, you know, that spin and, you know, the rosin, the sunscreen and, um, and all the uh, the ramifications of that, that MLB's crackdown, it'll start this Monday. The commissioner's office responding to record strikeouts and a league batting average at more than a half century low. Uh, they said Tuesday that major and minor league umpires will start regular checks of all pitchers, even if opposing managers don't request um, inspections. Um, repeat offenders will receive progressive discipline, and teams and club employees will be subject to discipline for failure to comply. Um, as well. So period checks for all starting and relief pitchers on both teams throughout the game is going to be required for the umpires, and starters will be subject to more than one mandatory check each game, and relief pitchers must be checked once they conclude an inning in which they enter the game or when they're removed from the game, whichever comes first. So a lot of this stuff. Um, also, players who refuse to cooperate with an inspection will be presumed to be in violation of the rules and subsequently ejected and suspended. And then club employees who assist with that, well, they also will get fined and suspended. The suspensions will be with pay. Uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN uh, sources told him. Uh, quick, we got a couple minutes left here. You know, final thoughts about this. This is a big topic. What do you guys think about the rosin bags? And they'll be allowed to be continue to be allowed, but rosin cannot be combined with sunscreen or other substances. And umpires will inspect the rosin bags going forward. How about you fix the baseball that you messed up before this season, in the offseason? How about the MLB, instead of looking at their players, looks at themselves? Hey, we had a baseball that provided a lot of excitement during the 2019-2018 season. We had guys hitting a lot of home runs. It's good for the sport. You know, Now everyone's complaining about a no-hitter every like three weeks, even though no-hitters are awesome. Um, but yeah, I don't understand why MLB is trying to like deflect the issue and say that it's like the player's fault that the games are going the way they are. No, it's your fault because you redesigned the baseball and you made it intentionally harder for batters to hit the ball. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing this year. It's another year of the pitcher. We're watching Jacob DeGrom right now, and I mean, he'd be doing this good probably regardless, but it wouldn't be this this good. Like MLB, I don't understand why they do the most to basically like Rob Manfred talks about pace of play, and he talks about appealing to like fans that aren't baseball fans, but he he changes the baseball in an inherent way that's not going to market it to people that don't watch baseball because every game is a little more low scoring, there's less excitement, and you know ultimately I think this is just M- the MLB just trying to you know deflect. Uh, it's a, it's a lot of deflecting going on. So. Manfred is an avoider. It's clear. We've seen that with the Astros scandal. We see that with everything he's pretty much done. Rob Manfred can't take responsibility, nor can the league. And you've always had this division between league, uh, the league and the Players Association. And the, the blame has always gone to the players. I'll wrap up quickly since we're out of time. But... You always see the blame going on players. I agree with Dylan. The league has to actually take responsibility. And if you're seriously going to be, you know, enforcing these rules and, and uh, enforcing these punishments, you have to be consistent with it and you have to be, you know, actually own up to what you're actually going to be enforcing. Yeah, you make a really um, interesting point. 